listen, if there's a part of the, your industry that's not being served, it may not be the most lucrative part of it, but if you solve a problem for somebody, they're going to trust you so much more. And a very specific problem, not just kind of a half-ass thing. You've got to really solve the problem. And if you can come up with a way to solve problems for people, they're going to give you their trust and they're going to give you their, their future business. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible, exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a repeat guest, and he's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. The reason I love and respect this guy so much is because he is not full of caca like most of the human race these days. He speaks the truth. He speaks about a topic that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but is an unfortunate reality that we all have to face. And he's the best in the world at delivering the goods to help keep you and your family safe. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Tim Larkin. Welcome to the show, Tim. How you doing, Nikki? Man, I'm awesome, brother. Really, really great to have you here with us today, man. Well, thanks. Awesome, awesome. So, Tim, it's uh, it's been a little while since you've been on the show. Long-time listeners know who you are, but uh, there's a lot of folks who are new to the show. They may not know who you are. I know you really well. But tell us your backstory, man. Tell us how you got to be the great Tim Larkin. Let's go from there. Basically, I was a kid that was always interested in, in any aspect of self-protection. I was brought up in combat sports by my grandpa and my grandfather. Um, very, very familiar with it to the point uh, I was a Navy kid. I, went, I lived on Navy bases my whole life, learned a variety of different martial arts in those uh, Navy bases and just grew up around the military and uh, <clears throat> decided that when I finished high school that I wanted to join the Navy, you know, via ROTC. And I went to school, but my, my ultimate goal was to become a SEAL officer. Um, I had been introduced to the SEALs uh, at a very young age uh, through my dad. To decide that was what I wanted to do. I uh, pursued that, did very well in my training, uh, had a couple of weeks left in training, and then suffered a uh, ear injury that ended my diving career. It really kind of changed my life at that point. Um, up until that point, I was... Bigger, faster, stronger. I thought I was going to have a very traditional special operations career. And um, the injury turned everything upside down, turned all my plans upside down. And it actually became the focus of what I teach people. Merely the, uh, I, I inadvertently discovered the Rosetta Stone to self-protection by being injured. And um, really what I, what I learned was that bigger, faster, stronger is excellent in a lot of areas. You know, and there's, there's a lot of reasons to, you know, use physical fitness and be strong and all that good stuff. But when it comes to actually self-protection and violence, that the human body is very susceptible to trauma. And that if we focused on the inherent areas of the human body that can't handle trauma, then that's a really easy way to train people how to protect themselves. And it's just an interesting 
juxtaposition because once people start looking at all humans as the same rather than most of us right now look at humans you know if we see a bigger faster stronger human that's what we focus on the bigger faster stronger part but when you're trained correctly you look at a situation and you say nope he's got a neck like me he's got knees like me he's got ankles like me and it's just a different way of looking at the world from a self-protective standpoint and um it it you know, that's kind of my Reader's Digest version. And I took this outside of the military. I was an intelligence officer. I was in the special operations community, but I wasn't an operator. But I was in a group that was looking at, you know, how to improve hand-to-hand combat in the special operations community, especially after the Berlin Wall came down. And they, they kind of predicted everything that's going on today, you know, 20-something years ago, that, hey, you know, warfare is going to change. We need to put our hands on people. Well, that methodology was something that I was part of and I uh, became an instructor in the system that we originally used with military. And then, you know, it, it just led to a, you know, almost a 30 year career where I started out as a private military contractor and trained mostly law enforcement and military. And then after nine 11, I started training regular people uh, in addition to uh, my contracts. And, uh, you know, today I'm, point to where probably I would say 70% of my business is now teaching regular people how to better protect themselves. And it's really rewarding. Yeah. I remember when you and I first met, I had a good friend of mine here in Toronto, uh, which is uh, quote unquote, a very safe city. He was murdered in a, in a restaurant. It was a high profile murder. Uh, someone walked into the restaurant. They had a hoodie on, they covered their face uh, they walked up to him and they pumped him full of four bullets. And this was a very high-end restaurant. I mean, they sell, served, you, you know, $300 to $1,000 plate steaks at this restaurant. And it was in a nice, fancy part of downtown. And um, my friend was, you know, not part of any organized crime. He was a, a, a realtor, uh, a father with two kids. And his life was snuffed out just like that. And I felt so helpless I found your book, your New York Times bestselling book, When Violence is the Answer, and uh, I read it and I devoured it in one sitting, you know, which I usually don't do with a nonfiction book. And then I came, I signed up to do your course along with uh, my lovely better half, Teresa, my good friend, Mark Von Muser, and a few other friends in Los Angeles. And it, it opened my eyes as to you know what's happening out there and, and also the importance of self-protection. And I, I, I got to tell you, I commend you for what you do because what you're doing isn't just a business. It's God's work. It's teaching people how to be able to defend themselves. And I believe that in this day and age, more than ever, people need those skills. But I wanted to ask your thoughts about that. Given how the world has been with COVID and pandemic and civil unrest and election unrest, what are your thoughts on the necessity of people knowing the information that you teach today versus even three or four years ago? Yeah, it's funny. I used to people used to tell me like they say, "Hey, when was the seminal point for you?" And the last the last big change in my business was nine eleven. You know, I mean, it was just a systemic change in society and and you know how they viewed violence. But it was very different. I mean, it, what what's just happened in the last year uh, is so much more impactful than even nine eleven. Believe it or not, because nine eleven was. A situation where we knew it was terrorists, we knew it was specifically planes, we knew it was you know a specific deal. We, we our communities were still intact. We still had basically faith in our um, in our institutions, and and uh, we really didn't have 
you know, you had too much interest. Secondarily, after 9-11, 2008, the crash of 2008 here in the U.S. actually saw a huge rise in crime, desperation. Um, it, it, it subsided, you know, pretty quickly. But probably two years later, you know, a lot of that was under control. And, and the reason was last time, you know, 2008, people lost their homes and, and they lost things, but they still had their jobs. You know, they still were able to provide for their families. What's just happened in this last year is just unthinkable. So many people have lost their jobs in, in the U.S. Our economy's there. There are a lot of people are now de- dependent on getting some sort of a, a government assistance. We saw situations in the U.S. where cities literally were taken over by you know protesters, and uh, then just things that just were, would have been absolutely unthinkable happened. You know, uh, have situations where. You know, police were not responding to calls. You know, you had you had a mother, you had a mother with her kids in a car being surrounded by a gang of, of just protesters. And she was told, oh, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We can't we can't send anybody out your way. Uh, you know, there's a collapse in society that we, we, we've, I, we haven't seen in our lifetime like this, you know, what was acceptable. And we saw violence where you know, and, and things happening where it, it was just unthinkable to the community and it's really damaging the community and really shook the faith of, of everybody um, to where, you know, I was never anybody that was a big prepper, uh, you know, in the extreme ways that you saw, you know, prior to prior to COVID. But I always thought, you know, base, basic preparation was something that you should, you know, absolutely do. It, it's amazing to me how much, how quickly, is what everybody always predicted, how quickly society just, you know, the illusion that we have these safety zones put in and that we have institutions that will always respond to, you know, protect the public. And you saw how quickly that all just, you know, just disrupted and just just (laughs) went away. Yeah. And and it was unthinkable. So it's really shaken a lot of people. And here in the U.S., We've seen, you know, unbelievable amounts of gun sales. I mean, you know, over 9 million new gun registered gun owners. And an interesting part of that statistic is a, a big majority of that is single black women out here. And so you're seeing people are just really feeling very, very at risk. And of course, the first thing they want to do is they want to buy a gun in the U.S. Uh, because it's available. It's available to people. But the scary part about that is you know, uh, a tool, buying a tool like a gun without proper training is really dicey. I am, you know, as you know, Nikki, I have a, I have a business out here in Las Vegas. We are a manufacturer of, of class three weapons. We have a tourist facility out here where you can come and you can shoot automatic weapons in a very safe environment. I know it sounds crazy, you know, crazy Americans. We like to, you know, let people shoot machine guns, but, but we have that, but, but we're very, you know, my, my, my partners and I are very uh, pro-Second Amendment, but we're also very pro-personal responsibility. And I, I think what's happened in this last year is a lot of people recognized they saw things happen that they thought were unthinkable. They saw it happen to other people, and they saw themselves realizing, I have nothing in the toolbox to deal with a situation like this. Yeah. You know, and it, it's really systemically changed. I mean – even the censorship that you're seeing, uh, even in my community, my community, I mean, people are, people have to be very careful what they put out. You know, I have a YouTube channel right now and it's been growing leaps and bounds, but I have to be very careful how I put the material out. 
I, I can't be as blunt as I'd like to be oftentimes because you will be deplatformed. You'll be shut down. So even getting out good information is a challenge these days uh, to people. It, it's a lot of, you know, supposedly well-meaning reasons that people are trying to control speech. It's really kind of had the opposite effect. So I've met, to me, it's a quandary. I mean, I, I think this is going to be, you know, after 9-11, it was about five years where people were really concerned. I mean, they, they kept the concern level high. I, I think this is going to be generational. I think I think this is going to be something that's, that's going to be a decade or more that people are going to really, this is really going to sit with them. And re- I think they're going to recognize that, hey, I, I, I went to my local supermarket and there were things I couldn't buy. You know, I was, things were being rationed quickly. We saw how quickly our supply chains, you know, shut down. It, it systemically just got us to the point to where people literally are thinking in a much more tribal way and a much more, I mean, neighborhoods here in the United States, people are responding as neighborhoods now. And, uh, you know, stuff that used to be, what would have been kind of dismissed as overreaction and just, oh God, crazy Crazy, only crazy people would, would do this. You've got neighbors now banding together. You've got people sitting there realizing, hey, if the police can't come, you know, we're going to put together, for lack of a better word, our own kind of neighborhood militia um, to deal with some things. And, and the reason I'm saying this, it's not happening everywhere, but it's happening in enough parts of the United States to where it's just crazy, you know, to, to even think that it, it happened this quick. So, you know, like you said in Toronto, you know, in the event, your friend was murdered in a very safe city, in a very safe part of the city. And what that does, that shakes people to the core far more than if it happened in a dodgy part of town. Um, Because what does that tell us? The illusion that we have is that, is that, oh, well, society behaved a certain way until somebody decides not to play the game. And and then it exposes just how exposed we are. You know, I mean, this guy was able to walk right into the restaurant and murder your friend. You know, and and it was just there because we all were making the assumption that oh, that just doesn't happen here. And um, yes, yeah, so are these black swan events? Oftentimes, yes, they are. But just because that's the case doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some sort of preparation for things like this. And and, and quite honestly, my my main focus these days is on helping people avoid the avoidable because the other thing I'm seeing, Nikki, with all the political, you know, uprisings that we've had and, and the, 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 the tumult that we've had, especially here in the U.S. Uh, over the last election, people are letting their emotions dictate their responses and people are getting themselves involved in something that are, that's eminently avoidable, but they commit themselves to the point to where now it's going to get physical. And I see so many, I see so many unnecessary acts of violence that that when you look at the beginning of where it actually started you could have you could have avoided it you know you just have to be able to keep your ego in check so i guess it's funny i i've always had a passion for this i don't think i've ever been so passionate about getting the information out um because i see so many people just making very dicey decisions and, and they're really playing with fire when they don't have to. And it usually comes from a lack of understanding of the tool of violence and, and, and how people respond using violence. There's we, what we don't understand is we don't understand that when we cross from the verbal violence 
into the physical, it's a completely different uh, area. And, and that once you once you put hands on people, you have no idea how it's going to end up either way. No matter what your intentions are, you could inadvertently cause grievous bodily harm or have grievous bodily harm done to you, regardless of what the intent is on either side of that equation. You know, I've, I collect a lot of, uh, you know, news reports of two guys getting in an argument. One guy pushes the other guy. He falls down, hits his head, and he's dead. You know, neither side ever wanted to get to that level, but they just don't understand that once you cross the physical plane, you know, all bets are off. And you have to make sure that the only time you would ever do anything like that, that the threshold has to be extremely high for when you'd ever, you know, consider using violence to protect yourself. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said, but I'll I'll tell you one of the things that... uh, I'm a Canadian, but I wish we had a Second Amendment here. You know, uh, after my friend got shot, I was thinking, what if the restaurant had armed armed security? What if some of the people sitting at the restaurant had concealed carry like you guys do in the States? What if my friend had concealed carry? Would this guy have been so cavalier about stepping into that restaurant knowing that that it could end really badly for him, right? You couldn't just walk in and, and shoot a guy. And, and expect to get away with it like he did. Uh, I, I had a friend of mine say to me, hey, listen, if this had happened in Texas, that guy wouldn't have made it out the door. <laughs> I mean, there'd have been four guys that had taken him out by the time he'd taken three steps. <laughs> you know, and it's it's crazy, but that's that that's the kind of thing that I think about, right? That we here are, are being told by the government, oh, no, 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 we're, we're going to protect you by taking guns out of your hands legally. And I go, okay, well, w- what does that do to the criminals who don't really care about the law? That just means anybody who's a good guy, potentially, and a law-abiding person is the one who'd give up their guns and everybody else wouldn't. So how the heck are we going to protect ourselves if true lawlessness and anarchy come to Canada? And, you know, underneath civilization, underneath that thin veneer of civilization, you know, at, at one level, we're we're animals, and if our ability to take care of ourselves and our families, if we can't get food or shelter, I could see things going south, even in a place like Toronto, very quickly. Yeah, and and, and that's what people don't understand. And, and again, I understand, um, I understand people being uncomfortable with the idea of gun ownership if you're uninitiated to it, and and the thought process is you know, that the problem is somehow with legal gun ownership and and really the threat from legal gun owners is, is infinitesimally small. Um, the abuse amongst legal gun owners is not the problem. What you see is exactly what you experienced in in, in Toronto. The criminals are then absolutely brazen when they know they don't have to fear an armed population and they don't have to, they don't have to deal with any of that. And, uh, there's another incident in, um, a nightclub in Australia and it was the same thing. This guy just walked in really just brazen, just had the gun out. He knew nobody else in there had a gun and he was able to walk right up. And again, it was a, it was a criminal thing. It was a gang related thing, but it was done right in front of everybody with no, you know, just, just, just brazenly. And that's what you see when, the result is as well-meaning as everybody thinks it, it would be like us trying to solve drunk driving by taking away everybody's cars. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, the, the, it, it, you need to punish the result And here in the U S 
you know, it's proven time and time again, the problem isn't the firearms. The problem is we have a real mental health problem here in the U.S. It's not being addressed. And uh, there's an issue with people getting access to weapons, um, you know, that other people have, oftentimes parents or something like that, that a mentally unstable person gets a hold of a firearm. And it's a problem because we don't really address that aspect of it. It was the same thing when I I dealt with this in the U.K., with the rampant knife crime. That's crazy what's happening there. Well, and the response to it was to, you know, just outlaw anything that looks like a knife. And I mean, to the point to where cutlery, normal like butter knives and stuff like that, when you go to buy them, it literally has a warning on it, not to misuse stuff like that. And and the reason society defaults to something like that is a good feel good measure. It It makes politicians feel like they've done something without really tackling the problem. You know, and uh, in fact, making it worse. We as citizens, yeah, and we as citizens just have to recognize that. You know, we can we, you know, all we can do is if we're if you're in a if you're in a society that has a a democracy uh, or democratic process, you know, you can make try to make your vote count. You know, but other than that, you really have very little uh, recourse. You know, in a situation where you know they basically provided very little options for you to protect yourself as far as using tools or weapons. And, um, it, it's just something, it's, it's something to, to, uh, you know, to look at. I mean, it's it, our, with the new administration that we have down here is trying to be very aggressive and, uh, trying to do some, some, uh, reforms. I don't think they will be successful they won't. or as successful as they'd like to be. But that said, we have some real fear here in the U S and you can see it just from the gun ownership. I mean, there is a 13-month backlog in ammunition right now. That's how far behind ammo, ammo is uh, with, with people. It's and, crazy. Um, you got your dogs in the background, eh, Tim? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's all good, man. Hey, add some flavor and color to the interview. I love it. <laughs> uh, can you hold just for a minute? Let me get my dogs real quick. Yeah, for okay. sure, man. For yeah. sure. All right, Tim. So, you know, we were talking about well-meaning politicians taking steps basically to do what they say or what they think is going to protect us, which is to take the legal right for somebody to have a, a weapon, a gun or a knife out of their hands. And the problem with this is that people who don't care about the law they're going to just think, okay, well, nobody else has a gun or a knife, so I've got one. I'm going to be able to do whatever the heck I want, and no one's going to be able to stop me, right? Yeah. What, what people don't understand is the only thing that gun laws really work against, any kind of like laws limiting any sort of personal protection, the only people that are going to pay attention to it are the law-abiding citizens. And, and so that's who you're penalizing in, in a situation like this, you know? and the response time of most, I remember when the Metropolitan Police in London came out and finally admitted, hey, we are not first responders. You know, we will respond, but we're not your, we're not able to be there to prevent the crime from happening. You know, they actually, they actually admitted it, which we all knew, but, you know, to have a, an organization actually come out and say that, especially um, the organization in, uh, you know, to, over in the UK to do that because they're very strict on their, their abilities for self-protection you know, what you can do over there. 
And and a lot of their laws over there were antiquated. They they came out from a well-meaning thing. Like, or like the Brits actually used to have very good self-defense laws. One of their justices, Justice Black, was uh, you know he said it was an inherent right of all citizens to you know self-defense was there, and, and it was actually very good up until the fifties. And in the fifties, they had they had street gangs, and what they had was they had a lot of street fighting going on, and the excuse used by people to participate in these things was I saw somebody being attacked and I went there to help. And so what they did was they did, they did a complete overreaction saying that if you try to intercede in anything, you know, the only people that are allowed to intercede in any sort of a violent act are the police, the police, the first responders. And if you, if you, you know, literally try to go in to protect somebody, you will be prosecuted full extent of the law. And that's crazy. Really. They have old they have old laws that just don't reflect the current situation. And then in London, what you had was you had a lot of immigration going on and people coming in from countries that were basically saying this isn't an anti-immigrant or anything. This is reality. You had people coming into the the, the uh, into the country who were very used to having weapons. They come from you know societies where they needed weapons, and they looked around the, the criminal element of those people looked around and said, oh. You guys don't use knives because they tell you you can't, yet they're readily available right here, you know, and, and they just do it. And that's, that's what people don't understand. You, you can't – you can outlaw tools. You'll never outlaw the intent to do violence, you know, and that's what we saw. We saw that in Paris. We saw that with people, you know, with all the truck uh, – people using trucks as, you know, murder weapons to run people over and do things. People will find a way to do violence, and it, it – it, it is just counterproductive to think that by disarming law-abiding citizens that you're going to have anything, you know, close to, uh, you know, a safer society as far as you're talking about the criminal element uh, using using. Um, if anything else, you have what you you had, you know, you had that situation that you had in, in uh, the really nice restaurant in uh, Toronto. You know, where a guy just brazenly went in and murdered your friend, shot him four times and literally walked right out, knowing full well nobody else in that area was going to have a firearm and that they basically could just come right in and, you know, do as they please. Yeah. You know, I I wonder to myself if this was in another place like Texas, what would have happened? Would this guy have even dared to come into a restaurant, pull a gun on, on somebody? You know, or what do you thought twice? Because he knows that Texas is a place where there's a lot of concealed carry and frankly, even open carry. You know, if he'd have tried this in a restaurant in Texas, he wouldn't have gotten away with it. You know, somebody would have would have pulled a gun and shot him on his way out the restaurant. And the law enforcement officials in Texas would say, bravo, you did our job for us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you saw that. You saw that at the uh, the unfortunate um church shooting yeah where where another individual who literally was from another church happened to see them leaving was able to get the guy down use his ar and to you know take out the guys that just killed those people um you know that that's people people mistake the idea of wishing the way the world was a certain way and they try to make laws based on the way they think the world should be rather than the way the world, the world really is. And it's my job to my clients is to make sure that, listen, I am not going to sit here and waste your time 
by trying to tell you, yeah, I agree with you. I wish the world was this way. I'm going to say, hey, here is the reality of what we're dealing with. This is the world as we know it. And in order to navigate it, you know, the safest way for you and your family, I'm going to give you the best information, even if it's uncomfortable information. I'm going to give it to you. I'll tell you, it is very uncomfortable information. When I came and I did your course originally, uh, I was glad to do it because I figured I better find a way to protect and defend myself and the people that I love. But the entire time I was uncomfortable. I mean, the idea that I, I would need to act that way should the need ever arise made me very, very uncomfortable. You know, I... I, I my entire body was was shaking. I felt some some butterflies in my stomach. You know, I didn't feel confident at all. And I was thinking to myself, man, what if this ever really happened? What if this ever really happened? What if I had to do this? Would I would I even be able to like fall back on on this training that I had? You, you know what I mean? Would I be successful or would I freeze? And those are those are the thoughts that went through my head. But I'm very glad I did the training. I'm very glad that my uh, better half decided to do the training with me. And I'm glad that we've at least been exposed to this information so that, you know, God forbid, society goes to, to heck in a handbasket. We're able to do something about ourselves. You know, a couple of days ago, uh, cops came up to my townhouse complex and they knocked on my door. And I opened the door and I'm wondering what they were doing there. And the guy says, hey, did someone just, uh, you know, make a whole bunch of noise climbing down from your rooftop? Uh, and I'm like, no. He said, yeah, yeah, the neighbor across the street saw somebody jumping off a rooftop uh, and running away. And I thought, wow, dang. And, you know, we've got security and, you know, special uh, kind of um, locks that y you can't just get by. How did this guy climb up four stories, go on a rooftop of a you know three-story townhouse, and then jump off of that rooftop and get into the complex? You know, if somebody can do that, then we're not nearly as safe as we think we are, right? That there, there's almost an illusion right. of safety. And like I said before, the the civilization has this has this veneer over top of society but if you take away people's uh feelings of safety and security when it comes to food when it comes to being able to take care of their families i think all of that could be gone in an instant and we we could be in a darwinian you know survival of the fittest situation before we know it what are your thoughts on yeah. that yeah well that that's just it i mean I, I try to tell people all the time i mean just look how quickly things digressed this summer, you know, last summer. I, I mean, it wasn't, you know, fast. And I mean, it didn't happen everywhere, but it happened in enough large cities that, you know, were unthinkable. I have friends that live in New York. I remember a buddy of mine called me up and he lived in the Upper East Side, an amazing townhouse, I mean, amazing penthouse and, and everything. And I'd done his podcast and he called me up a couple of months into the pandemic uh, after things started happening. And he said, Hey, I need some help with some security, you know, security equipment and cameras and stuff for my place and blah, blah, blah. And I remember calling up and go, Hey Jim, uh, you know, your place is, it was great. The, 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 you know, the, the penthouse, you know, we already kind of went over that kind of stuff. What, what more do you want? And he goes, Oh, I don't live there anymore. He had sold his penthouse at a loss and he moved to Connecticut. You know, and that's that's what you saw. You saw ton, I saw tons of my friends from the most affected cities, and they just they left. 
because they felt it could. Now, these are lifelong New Yorkers. These are lifelong people that lived in San Francisco, lifelong people that lived in L.A., people for, you know, Californians that would never want to live anywhere else. And yet they, they made this move because their physical safety was just it was just not there. And it was amazing to watch. I mean, like I said, I, I never would have expected this from any any of the people that I know. And, and yet that's what happened. I mean, that's how quickly it happened. And, you know, so, so you're going to see people making those decisions. And, and quite honestly, I agree with what they're doing. Meaning that's the ultimate. It's like they have the ability. Not everybody can just up and move. They don't have the financial wherewithal to do it. But the people that did, I understand why they did it. You know, because they have the ability to do it. And, and instead of risking it and say, well, I'm going to stay put or I'm going to do whatever. They said, you know what? My family's safety isn't worth it. I'm out of here. And that to me said a uh, lot. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I agree with them too. Um, I, I'll tell you something. I've been thinking about uh, buying some rural property myself and moving into a, a rural space with a lot more land. And I've never been a prepper before, but I'm thinking maybe it's not such a bad idea to have some extra food and water set aside and a place that's defensible uh, and you can see people coming, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. if, if anyone's coming. Uh, I, I yeah. think it might be it, a it, nice it's, place it's not, to live. It's not crazy. Yeah. I just tell people all the time, you know, there's no penalty for being prepared. It doesn't have to be crazy stuff. You don't have to have a, a dugout underground house or anything like that but just you know do you have do you have enough water for a week you know do you have the ability to uh, have you know food like I have, I, I have stored away at least three months worth of food that's usable we've got basic water needs and then a generator and just you know just a couple of things and, and I don't live in a rural part of Las Vegas I'm in Las Vegas I live in a very nice part of Summerlin which is a very nice neighborhood but all of us around here we all have our basics just in case, you know, and that's not, that's, uh, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, everything I just said would seem like, oh, wow, you're really kind of paranoid, you're extreme. Right now, everybody's just, no, it, it's really smart. You yeah, know, it's really smart. Um, yeah, so we've changed. Like I said, and I think this goes back to my, my original statement. I think since, you know, 9-11 was the next, it was the last big thing I saw where people really, you know, understood that there was, you know, a potential threat to them that they weren't aware of before. And this, I think, is probably even a more telling situation. I've seen more people responding to this than I even saw people at 9-11 respond to. Well, I agree with you. And part of what's having so many people be concerned is that, you know, there's a new administration in Washington, D.C., that seems to want to take away uh, their Second Amendment rights. And I got to tell you, when my friend got shot, I became a big fan of your Second Amendment. I wish we had something like that here. Not that I think every human being on the planet should have the right to have a gun because there's some people with some serious mental health issues that shouldn't have the right to have a gun. And there's some people that, frankly, are, are criminals that shouldn't have the right to have a gun. But if you're a law-abiding person and the world is about to go to heck in a handbasket, it's a really good idea to be able to have the means to defend yourself, you know, and be trained oh, by someone like you, right? Yeah, and, and that's where, it, you know, my goal is not to turn people into, you know, like a, a Book of Eli type of person or Mad Max or something like that. <laughs> my, my, 
my goal is for them just to understand, you know, what, what the parameters are, you know, and, and when, when would you ever need to even consider using violence? And, you know, cause most people don't, and, and most people don't understand how much they can get themselves in trouble by responding to things they don't need to respond to. And that to me is like, if I can just do nothing other than that for people, I, I think, you know, I, I'll be really satisfied. I mean, the, the best calls I ever get, Nikki, are the people that call me up and say, hey, Tim, I just want to let you know, this happened to me last week. The old me would have responded this way. But after going through your training or reading your book or doing it, I responded this way and got myself out of there. And thank you so much. And to me, that's way more rewarding for me to hear that than to hear, hey, Tim, you know, I had to use your information. And I did this to this guy and that guy and I survived, you know. Or if I hear from my military and law enforcement guys that they were successfully able to use the training to protect themselves, I expect that to happen. But what's really great is when people don't have to use the information because, you know, I learned a long time ago that most people really don't want to learn self-defense and self-protection. You know, that it's just not something that's inherently in them. They're, they're not, most people aren't like me and say my instructors and, and people that like me that like to, uh, uh, you know, do this training. Most people... What they really want is they want the best information possible on how to live a life that minimizes the chance that they would ever need self-protection or self-defense. And to me, that's that's the important message that I get out. So if I focus on anything these days, it's on how to live a life that would minimize the chance of you ever needing this information to protect yourself. You know, so well said. I mean, what's what's one of the things you you, you taught me, uh, which is, you know, Nikki, uh, if I don't know somebody, uh, uh, I always proceed on the assumption that I'm six seconds away uh, from that person engaging in a shooter, shooting spree, right? I mean, why is that so important? Right. Yeah, and, and what that does is, it's, it's and, and again, it's not being paranoid. It's, we never know what the other person, like when you meet somebody outside your circles, you have no idea who this person is, how they respond to things, what they're capable of. You can't, you know, if we could all just look at somebody and make a quick assessment and be right, that would be one thing. But that's that's absolutely not true. It's not. Um, but but what that does is if you take it from that extreme standpoint in your head, like, hey, this person might be six seconds away from a shooting spree. And I don't want to be the one to trigger it. How would you behave towards that person? Well, you'd be very conciliatory. You'd be very friendly, very non-threatening you just would have much better communication skills. And that to me is, is something that's absolutely invaluable because especially with like the Twitter universe these days and social media, people are very coarse with their, with their communication styles. People are very harsh and people do things in their communication that they would never do face to face. And yet sometimes when we do get face to face, we forget that, Hey, this isn't, necessarily going to be just a verbal exchange from the other person's side because we don't know who they are and something that we may be able to say to another person who comes from our same demographic background in there who would probably just you know take it as a verbal threat and not want to accelerate it into physical if you meet somebody from a different culture or a different background or something like that to where what you could say to the one person in your office, you say the same thing to the guy out in the street, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a very serious altercation. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, I was telling you the other week that I had a situation where I went to go 
buy something and somebody said something to me. We got into it back and forth and it very quickly escalated. And I sure as heck didn't want it to escalate. I didn't want to be in a situation where it could get physical and thankfully it didn't, but it could have. And um, here's what I learned. I was um, I was in a uh, grocery store lineup and um, there was someone behind me and uh, my mask, uh, yeah, I wasn't wearing a mask. I was wearing one of those neck gaiters and I just put it down a bit to breathe, right? Because uh, quite right. frankly, the only reason I wear those darn things is because there's a lot of uh, grocery stores in Toronto right now who say, hey, we're not going to let you in if you don't have one and I need to eat. I need to have food for my family. Otherwise, uh, I, 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 I don't think they work. I don't think it's the right thing to wear them. But someone just said to me, you know, those masks work a lot better when you cover your whole face with them, including your nose. And it was the kind of thing that in the past would have had me just turn around and say something snarky back to them. And what I did instead is I, is I look back for a second and I said, thank you. <laughs> I kept walking forward, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah. that kind of diffused the whole situation. I could feel their, their uh, kind of snarky energy, which was rising to a crescendo, just was deflated because they were expecting me to argue with them and I didn't. <laughs> so boom, I moved on and I right. was out of there and it didn't escalate. And that is the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And, and it's when we, when we live life like that, it actually becomes, you know, just a lot easier. I mean, you, you've heard me talk about the idea of the three day rule that very few things meet the three day rule. And the three day rule is, is essentially this, whatever the incident is that you think you need to respond to, is it going to matter three days from now? You know I mean? Three days from now, if you find yourself in a jail cell, or God forbid you're six feet under, will you have told yourself, yeah, there's no other way I could have responded to this. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and, and very, very few things, you know, meet that, that level. You know, Tim, that's why I value you and the work you do so much because you're somebody who um, speaks the truth. You tackle a very difficult subject and you do it in a way that makes it possible for someone like me to, be able to take value from what you're saying and apply it in my life in a way that I don't get involved in dumb altercations that I don't need to get involved in. But if God forbid I ever am in a situation where I need to make use of this information, I have the training that I went through to, to fall back on. So it, what you do is God's work as far as I'm concerned, and people need to hear what you have to say more than ever right now, in my opinion. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying the questions that I'm getting from people now. And it was nice to have you reach out to me on in a chance to share with your audience again, especially during this time, you know, the message, because uh, I really think it's, it's a very relevant message right now because there are so many things that we want to respond to, you know, and that obviously are very emotional and we've all had challenges. I don't care who you are. This pandemic has challenged people in way, shape, every way, shape and form. There's, there's, you know, Mentally, it's challenged us. Uh, Business-wise, it's challenged us. Uh, we, we've had to put up with things that just are really, really tough to put up with regardless. And you add on top of that human interaction, and you, you just it's just a, a potentiality to get yourself in a situation that you really don't want to be in. Yeah, uh, well said. Really, really well said. So, um, Tim, from the point of view of someone who's listening to this who's a business person, um, there's a lot that I think you can teach people. And I'd like to just spend a couple minutes on this in terms of how to, how to get your message out there 
in a way that has people go, wow, this guy's the real deal. This guy really gets his, gets it. He understands this uh, area in which he's an expert in, and he's somebody I trust. You do that very naturally, but I'd like to spend four or five minutes just delving into that, if you don't mind. What is it for you that makes this a mission for you? It's 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 way more than just a business for you. This is a mission for you. It's a calling for you. What is it that has it be that? And why did you decide to make your mission and your calling your business? You know, I, I think it always came down to something that it was just, I had a relationship with learning to protect myself. I, I, I came from a family, the majority of my family is Irish and you know a background and and i was raised you know a young kid I was, I was raised to you know one of the first things was how to protect yourself and take care of it and it was given with very clear instructions you know when and where it would ever be possible there are parameters that were introduced to me and we we've, we've really gotten away from that you know and especially with young males few young males have had the ability to to learn how to protect themselves and so what you'll see oftentimes is one of two things. You see people completely capitulate uh, in situations because they literally have no information or, you know, they'll completely overreact in a situation and go far above what the response requires. Then on the women's side of things, I've never, you know, sexual assault has, has just happened at ever younger ages. I mean, you know, I don't train most males until they're at least 18, but women I'll train as young as 11 um, because of that. And women have a very different relationship to violence. But to me, it was crazy, Nikki, for me to go into it. All my friends back when I was getting out of the Navy, um, you know, and I was passionate about doing this and I was doing it as a contractor back then, a, a military contractor. All my friends were going to Wall Street. They were doing all sorts of stuff that was incredibly, uh, you know, lucrative, but I had zero interest in it. People thought I was crazy to do what I was doing because it's it's not a traditional way to make money. It's not something that you'd immediately think, oh, you could have a really good career. But what was interesting was I was able to meet people that I never would have met had I taken a traditional career. You know, I've met CEOs, I've met politicians, business leaders, um, movers and shakers, uh, you know, just amazing entrepreneurs who if I had gone the traditional route, I, I probably wouldn't meet there. And what it taught me was no matter who you are, no matter what your demographic is, violence affects everybody across the board. It doesn't care about your gender. It doesn't care about your political affiliation. It doesn't care about whether or not you are a weak person or a strong person. We're all affected by it. And there's very little good information on how to navigate that. And to me, that was the, that, that's what still to this day keeps me passionate about sharing that information. Yeah, I, 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 I got to tell you, the fact that you are passionate about sharing the information is what sets you apart. And I think people that are getting into business and want to use their, their God-given gifts to be of service to the world, they first need to get clear on what those gifts are. You know, Steve Pressfield wrote a book called The War of Art. And in it, he says, everyone has a life they're living and a life that they ought to be living. And that we were all put here on this earth with a purpose given to us by God. And it's our job to discover what that is and then go and live that life. And you've done that. And that's one of the things I want to inspire everyone who listens to this podcast to go do if they're not already doing that. And the reason I'm 
excited about having you on the show is because you're a living, breathing example of that. I mean, I found out about you originally through my friend Mark Von Muser, who used to work with Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins trusts you. He believes in you as the expert in the world when it comes to self-protection and helping people defend themselves from asocial violence. So Tony Robbins has probably done more to help more people be successful in the world over the last 30 years than any human being alive. And when someone like that takes a look at you, Tim Larkin, and says, I trust this man, it just makes it a whole lot easier for people like me and, quite frankly, a whole lot of other people to take a look at you and say, this guy's worth listening to, this guy's worth following. So I just want to say I think it's it's fabulous and amazing that you have the passion that you do and that you've been able to attract such incredible accolades from people like Tony Robbins. Well, you know, to, to leave something with your business folks, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I had a very deliberate decision on when I decided to get into my world. I didn't try to do everything, meaning I, I've picked one specific niche in there. And, and really, it comes down to what the, the term in law enforcement and military is justified lethal force. I found that basically in the most extreme circumstances, there was very little good information on how to navigate that. And uh, it was kind of controversial. But what's interesting is because I became a subject matter expert there, people trusted me on everything else. And, and so, you know, I had a friend who he was in the insurance business. But what he found out was he said one of the biggest things, the biggest problems one of his clients had was sending their kids to college. And so in, this is in the late 90s and early 2000s, he focused on using um, real estate to help fund your kids' colleges. And that's what he did. What he did was he solved a problem first. And because he became a specialist in solving that one problem, they then trusted him in all other areas. And, and I get that benefit all the time. People come to me and I can put them in touch with other subject matter experts because of because they trust me. Same thing with like my relationship with Tony Robbins. You know, it was because of how I handled him and his his people long before he ever publicly said anything about me. I, I did a lot of private training with him and his folks because he had a real situation that he had had to deal with. So all I can tell people is, listen, if there's a part of the, your industry that's not being served, it may not be the most lucrative part of it, but if you solve a problem for somebody, they're going to trust you so much more. And a very specific problem, not just kind of a half-assed thing. you got to really solve the problem. And if you can come up with a way to solve problems for people, they're going to give you their trust and they're going to give you their, their future business. Amen. 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 You know, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. And it's what I strive to do inside my business. Uh, and it's very important to understand who you want to help, why you want to help them, or what problem you solve for them. And you said that brilliantly, Tim. Thank you. So, Tim, these days, um, there's really not much of a way for people to come and do your your course live, but I think you've been one of the folks who's been able to create something online. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, online and how people can find out about it, engage with it, and 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 frankly buy your programs. Really, really, probably the the, the best way, especially if uh, if this is the first time you've kind of heard about me. Probably the best thing I could have you do is is join my YouTube channel. It's just Tim Larkin, self protection expert. 
um, easy to find online. I've got so much free information on there and just real good actionable videos. And yeah, if, and, and then obviously I'd love for you to, you know, buy some products and do some stuff, but the best way to do that is to first educate yourself because I want to make sure I can help you. And that's why I've uh, put the YouTube channel up and it's just been growing leaps and bounds. So I, I, I think that would probably be the best value for your folks is if they just uh, were able to get more information and see some video uh, presentations that I've done that a lot of people find very helpful. Okay, great. We'll make sure we put up the YouTube channel in the show notes. And then there's your company website, Target Focus Training. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And your book, I think your book is something everybody should read. I, I don't often say this, but everybody should read your book. When, when Violence is the Answer, it's, it's a book that, uh, it's a difficult book to read, uh, perhaps, but it's also a book that's riveting. The information in there is very powerful. And if you've had a brush with violence, uh, I'll tell you, this is a book that'll help you feel uh, confident, strong, and, and dare I say it, empowered and able to go out there into the world and, and feel that there is a path for you to be able to defend yourself and protect yourself should the need ever arise. And I think it's an important book. And frankly, Tim, uh, if you got a few lying around the house, I'd like to buy a few and uh, get you to sign them. I'm going to hand them out as gifts to some people I know. So it'd be great. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'd love to do that for him. And, and yeah, and, and if people prefer audiobooks, it's on audio as well. Um, oh, cool. It's all, you know, very, you can get them Amazon, you can get it, Barnes Noble, wherever you plan to buy it, Audible, if you if you want to get the uh, audiobook. It's really interesting. I didn't realize how much, until my, my publisher just told me, I'm almost 50-50 on audiobooks to uh, hard books. So uh, it's, it's interesting how many people prefer audio, but, uh, and I, I did read it too. So that, that kind of helps also. Uh, hey, that's because, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd like an know, audio, yeah. uh, audio copy of it. You know, I, I'm doing, um, Andy Frisella's 75 hard program right now. So when I go outdoors, I usually take a, a, a power walk, uh, for 45 minutes. And one of the things I do is I, I listen to something, either a podcast or a good audio book. So this sounds like it'd be a, a, a great thing to listen to. Awesome. 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 So, Tim, we like to end off each episode by asking you, as our guest expert, to share with the audience your top three expert action steps. These are your three best pieces of advice to help my listener take his or her life to the next level or, frankly, to be able to better protect themselves. So what do you say? Yeah. You know what? It's just like anything. What I do every year is I, I, I learn a new skill. I don't. It can be anything. Like one year I did – I wanted to learn how to really lift – uh, you know, competitively for kettlebells. And uh, I, I did that. And then uh, archery is going to be this year. And with the reason, uh, if I could tell anybody, pick a skill set, especially the older you get, the more important it is to pick something new. And the reason you want to do that is because it's going to force you to, you know, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. You're not going to be good at it. You're going to have to be a student again. And it makes you much better at whatever else you're doing in life. So for me, every time I take on a new skill set, guess what? I'm that much better of an instructor. Why? I'm way more compassionate to new people because I just learned something that was completely new to me. And I realized how I had to break the mechanics down and how I had to do things. And, you know, it, it does one thing. It gives me a new skill set, which is great. Number two, it makes me a better instructor in what I do. And number three, I'll probably learn something while getting instructed in the new skill set that I'm going to be able to use um, in there. Like some of my best uh, uh, innovations have come from other disciplines. 
You know, it's just a, it was a teaching methodology they used. It was a way they did of explaining something that I never would have been exposed to. And yet I was able to bring it back into my world and make a huge difference for my clients. Man, that's really, really good. Okay, so that's the first one. What are two more, man? Give it to me. That's good. I like that. I'd say probably, uh, you know, I don't see, Nick, I don't see enough curiosity. And, and let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. You, you have no idea some of the people that you run into because they're not going to tell you who they are. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to events and I end up talking to somebody and I just start asking them questions about their life and, and what they're doing. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, this person's a wealth of information that I never would have got, but, but they lack curiosity. You know, we, I, for some reason, we don't, we like to talk about ourselves, but we don't like to learn from other people, meaning socially. And I, I would just absolutely, I was telling this to a group the other day, that curiosity, I think, is probably one of the most undervalued skill sets that you can have. And it's not being annoying. It's literally people actually enjoy it. But, and oftentimes I've met some people that were kind of reclusive. They're kind of introverted. But once you get them talking on their subject, all of a sudden you've just gained tremendous knowledge in something that you didn't know. And you have access to that person in the future because they're going to they're gonna remember you in a positive light because you actually were asking questions and you're making it easy for them to talk. So, so that's, that's probably my, my, my second big thing is remain curious. And then probably the third thing, and again, this is probably the older I get, the more I really, really embrace civility. And I think in this time right now, going out of my way to be civil to people and to be respectful of people, even when they don't deserve it, I think it's probably one of the best skill sets we could we earn right now in, in this day and age. I mean, in this time in our lives right now, I think practicing civility, it's going to be extremely difficult. But ultimately, I think it's probably one of the best skill sets that we can we can focus on. So I got to tell you something, Tim. I have loved this conversation for many reasons, but your three expert action steps are three of the best I've ever heard. The idea of taking on a new skill each year, sign me up. I'm in. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to do at least two new skills a year because uh, <laughs> I don't know how much time I got left and I want to get as many of these skills in as I can before I pass on. And, um, you know, the idea of being curious. Um, I tell you, one of the reasons I do this podcast is I get to interview the world's smartest people and have an hour free coaching session with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get yeah, to ask some questions absolutely. and I've learned so much from our conversation today. I got to tell you, it's, it, it's wonderful that I get to do this podcast and I get to be curious and ask questions, but it's also a good reminder to do that in arenas outside of this podcast. When I'm talking to somebody and I'm not interviewing them for the show and for the audience, it's still important to be very curious. Uh, and, and being civil, man, I, I learned that lesson uh, just a couple weeks ago and you reinforced it for me. So thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very, very much. Awesome Hi, stuff. Welcome, my friend. Oh, brother. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. So I'm going to speak to you, my listener, for a moment. Um, please make sure that you go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or go on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Look into the show notes there. Get the information about getting onto Tim's channel on YouTube. Get the information about getting onto his website 
and make sure that uh, you get a copy of his book, When Violence is the Answer. And look, if you're loving what you're experiencing on the show, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing, okay? Write us a review, okay? And share this with three of your friends. Share this with three of your friends. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just make sure that we have the opportunity to have more people hear the good information that we have on this show. And the best way for us to do that, frankly, is through you as our loyal listener, taking you out there into the world. And listen, you know all about the uh, amazing um, resources we offer on my website. You can go to eastcircleacademy.com. You can pick those up. There's a whole bunch of free resources you can take advantage of. Make sure you take advantage of them and um, make sure that you 1,000% Listen to what Tim has had to say here today and equip yourself to, frankly, be able to defend yourself should the need arise. Let's hope it never arises, but this is like insurance. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Tim, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show with me today, brother. Thank you, Nick. You bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Tim Larkin, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com, check out the show notes, and to find out more about all the resources that we have available for you to help you grow your business, go to eastcircleacademy.com. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eastcircleacademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.